Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, it was the last few days of Jesus' life. Actually, if you look at John 13 through 17, it's actually one long message, and it's the last week of Jesus' life. Actually, the, primarily the book of John is the last three weeks of Jesus' life. But, but in that last week, Jesus begins to say something strange. The disciples have left everything to follow him, and, and now for three years began to follow an obscure teacher from a small town in a small region of Nazareth. They, they are now following him, and, and now crowds are coming. And now he's gone from being the outcast radical preacher to, to now the multitudes. 5,000 are hearing him preach. He's turning water into wine, the Cajun miracle. Come on, some of y'all been trying to do that the last few days. And, and he's doing all of these incredible miracles. He's raising the dead. And, and people are now following him. And right when the disciples' sacrifice is finally paying off, the, the fishermen have left their, their boats and their family business and tax collectors who work all their lives to get up to a, a position of esteem. They, they leave their tax booths. And now Jesus begins talking what they think is out of his mind. He starts saying things like, I'm leaving you. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to, they're going to kill me. And, and on the third day, I'll come back from the dead. And and the disciples are rocked, and they have no clue. So, so one of them asks, Thomas, the doubter, asks, where, where are you going, Jesus, and, and how can we know how to get there? And Jesus responds in John 14, 6, and Jesus said to them, read it with me, I am the way, the truth, and... Now watch this, because it's pretty exclusive. No one, what? Except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Isn't it ironic that this answer is given to doubting Thomas? Do you know why I believe that's so profound? Because Jesus knew we would have doubts. Jesus knew in a world that was filled with all kinds of religions and all kinds of temptations and all kinds of different desires that, that we might wonder, are we just Christian because we were born in America or because we were born to the right family? Is that really the only reason why? And so Jesus went to great length to let us know that no one comes to the Father except through him. What an exclusive claim. What an absolute claim. And if wrong, what an arrogant claim. What an arrogant claim to simply say, I am the only way to God. Listen to Christ's claim and all the people that he offended in the process. He said, I am. That offended the Jews. When Moses had an encounter at the burning bush, the, the Jews based all their heritage on this. The God of the Hebrews appeared to him and said, Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let two million slaves that are my people to tell him to let them go to worship me, to set them free. And so Mo Moses asked a question anyone would ask, especially if you're going to the most powerful man on earth and tell him to let go of two million slaves. He said, well, but who, who, who do I tell him send me? And what was his answer? 
Tell them I said that I am. Like, I am? Like, do you have a last name? And Jesus, God said, yes, I am that I am. That's my last name too. I am that I am. So when Jesus said, I am, immediately the Jews knew that he was claiming to be God. He offended them. When he said he was the way, the only way, he offended all other belief systems in the world. And then he said, I am the truth, which offended the Greeks who didn't believe there was any absolute truth, much like people today. And then he said, I'm the life, the life. You see, there's two Greek words for life. One is bio, it's where we get biology from, but the other one is zoe, it means the life of God. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. That word is zoe, not bio. Now, a lot of people go, Pastor, you you, you just think that because you believe in Scripture. It's not because you believe in science, because science would teach you something different. Really? Well, let me ask you a question the next time you have someone that says they don't believe in Scripture, they believe in science. Where did the first living cell come from? The first living cell. Ben Stein, an economist and the hero of Ferris Bueller, but Ferris Bueller's Day Off, those of you who remember that movie, went and interviewed the leading minds in the world on philosophy and chemistry. He went, he went to Oxford. He went to Cornell. He went to Harvard. And he asked this one question, where did the first living cell come from? Do you know what those geniuses had to say? One of them said, an alien from outer space. The other one said, an explosion. The other one, the professor at Cornell University, who later took his own life, said it was possibly some some creature that just appeared on earth. So you actually believe that the first living cell came from nothing, or you believe, if you believe this, that it came from someone? Which one takes more faith? Believing it came from nothing, or believing it came from the God who is life himself? Jesus offended everyone. No one comes to the Father except through me, offended every other path or every other prayer of every other religion in the world. Jesus knew that people would acknowledge the Creator. But he wanted us to know that the only way to the creator was through the Christ. The Christ. With all the other religions and gods and belief systems and types of worship, Pastor, how can Jesus make this claim, I am the only way? He knew that you and I would live in a world just like this. And that's why in the beginning of John 14 where he says this to Thomas, he says this, let not your heart be what? troubled. You believe in, believe also in me. He later goes on to tell Peter that he's going to to deny him three times. All the disciples are shaken that the most courageous one among them is going to have doubts. Look at me. Do you ever have doubts? Do you ever wonder if there are almost eight billion people on earth and half of them believe in Christ and and the other half believe in all kinds of other different religions of the world, how do I really know that I am right? Have you ever had doubts? 
It's Sunday morning. If you lie in church, you go straight to hell. You don't pass purgatory and anything. You just go there. Have you ever had doubts? Do you know that Jesus is comfortable with doubts? And that's why he left us some things that he knew in our moments of doubt would scream at us. I am the only one to bring you to God. Let me share with you just a handful in five or six minutes. Number one, he is the only one to come from heaven. All of the flesh and blood that ever came to earth originated and was conceived on earth. There is only one living entity that ever came to earth what wasn't conceived in earth. He was from heaven, and that was Jesus. And he came from heaven to earth so that he could bring us back one day to heaven after giving his life. Jesus said in John 8, 23, Jesus spoke and said, You are all from, but I am from above. I am not of this world. All of the flesh and blood originated here. He alone came to earth from heaven. Here's the second one. He's the only one born of a... Now, regardless of what some of the people you know say, how they got pregnant, that they don't know. Okay, your cousin and him. <laughs> he is the only one to be born of a virgin. And I want, I want to give you something to help you. Do you know that two of the gospel writers record the story of Jesus' birth? Matthew and Luke. Now, let me share something with you about Luke that you don't know. Luke didn't walk with Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels. Three of the disciples lived with Jesus for the three years on earth. Luke did not. Read Luke chapter 1 and read Acts chapter 1. He actually went back and interviewed all of the people to get their accurate story. That's what he begins saying in Luke chapter 1. But we know Peter, James, and John were fishermen. We know that Jesus, his profession was? But what was Luke's profession? Isn't it interesting that it is a physician that would tell us Jesus was born of a virgin? He would know that that was a medical impossibility. It was a medical impossibility. But you know what's interesting? Who do you think knew for absolute certain and nobody else knew? Mary knew. Do you know who the last person was at the cross watching her son suffer? Mary. Let me ask you a question, mamas. Every mama here. If you knew that your son wasn't telling the truth and all you had to do was tell the truth to keep him from the worst death known to mankind, would you stop it? But she didn't. She watched him suffer, knowing that he was conceived of a virgin, knowing that what the archangel Gabriel had told her would come to pass. Here's the third thing. He's the only one to walk on water. You know, I put that on there because it's cool. You know, our bodies are 75, 80% water. I guess if your body's majority water, he can walk on water if he wants to. He made it. Here's the fourth thing. He's the only one to ever speak like he spoke. How many billions of people have lived from the time of Jesus to today? Still today, he is the most quoted person on the face of the earth 2,000 years after his death and burial and resurrection. And his words are as powerful and poignant today and piercing today as ever before. John 7, 46, some people went to arrest him. They were sent by the leaders to arrest him, the, the Jewish leaders, and they came back. And 
And they said, where's Jesus? And they said, well, we don't have him. So what do you mean you don't have him? And listen to what they said in John 7, 46. No man ever spoke like this man spoke. Was he protected? No. Were there people around him that pushed you away? No. Just like we heard him speak and it was like, we can't arrest him. He just arrested us. Here's the next one, number six, five. He's the only one to heal like he healed. Each Sunday, Pastor Joseph and I, Pastor Blake, Pastor Ryan, our youth pastor, we're asked to pray for people. I pray for people. Someone asked me earlier, Pastor, would you pray for me? I fell off a roof. He had his hand operated on, stitches all over, prayed for his hand. Someone else asked me last night, Pastor, would you pray for me? I had prostate surgery this coming week. I prayed for them. We, We do that all the time. How many are glad we pray for people to be healed? But Jesus had someone come who was blind since birth. So that means somebody must have brought him to Jesus. And and they said, would you pray for him? He's been blind since birth. And do you know what Jesus did? He went. (laughs) And spit on the ground. That would offend me. How many are pretty sure you go back to the Catholic church after that one? And then he took and he wipes the spit in the mud and he wipes it in the guy's eyes and says, go and wash your face in the pool of Siloam. And he goes and he washes his face. And what happens? How many of you are pretty sure if you brought a friend who'd never been to a church like ours to our church and you brought them up and said, Pastor, they, they really need prayer. And I went, <laughs> how many are pretty sure you'd never come back to church? Gee, there, there were people that were lepers. That was, that was biblical AIDS. They had sores. The way, the way they knew you had leprosy is, is big sores would break out and would ooze. You couldn't get within 100 yards of someone who didn't have leprosy. As a matter of fact, you would have to yell out unclean when you were 100 yards away. But Jesus violated all the rules, and he went, and instead of the lepers who couldn't go to him, he went to them. Aren't you grateful that Jesus goes to people you and I would never go to and that he touches people you and I would never touch? And Jesus reached over, and he touched his leprosy, and instead of him catching leprosy, Leprosy called healing and wholeness. No one ever healed like he healed. Jesus would would pray for people who were like 10 miles away and they would get healed. Number seven, he was the only one to raise people from the dead. How many of you know that's cool? He wasn't invited to many funerals. He raised a widow's son from the dead. He raised a ruler Jairus' daughter from the dead. He raised Lazarus, his best friend, from the dead. He showed up four days late to the funeral. Listen to me. If you show up four days late to the funeral, you better bring something. Number eight, he is the only God to be raised from. To be raised from. Listen carefully to me. How many have ever gone on a tour before? Raise your hand. How many of you would let someone take you on a tour to a place they've never been? 
Think of all the people that have put their hope and their confidence and their trust in the afterlife and in heaven to someone who's never been there themselves. There is only one God in all of humanity that has ever claimed to come from heaven, die for the sins of man, go back to heaven and claim that he's coming back for us and to come back and tell us about it. And that is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the only one to die like he died. The millennial question today is, Pastor, why do the innocent suffer? Why do good things happen to bad, or bad things happen to good people? It only happened once, and he volunteered for it. It was one innocent person, and his name was Jesus. And he volunteered to die for you and for me. He is the only one to die like he died. And then finally, he's the only one to be coming back for his followers. How many of you know Jesus is coming again? And when you look at the world around us, do we need him to come soon? 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Paul writes, it says, For the Lord himself will appear with the declaration of victory, with the shout of an archangel and a trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. Then we are alive, will be joined with them, transported together in to have an encounter with the Lord in the air, and we will be forever joined with the Lord. So encourage one another with these words. I'm going to encourage you. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. One of the most renowned atheists of the last 100 years was a literature professor at Oxford and in St. Mary's University in Oxford, England. Many of you know his name, but you, you don't know his name for being an atheist. It was actually his best friend who led him to Christ. He was also a literature professor. Many of you have read his book, one of them, Lord of the Rings. What was his name? J.R. Tolkien. His friend was C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis, and he was the one who led him to Christ. J.R. Tolkien was. It's interesting. They had a philosophical difference in their writing. You know what there was after that? C.S. Lewis felt like he could not write anything unless he put an allegory of Christ in the middle of it. J.R. Tolkien didn't feel that way. And all he did, J.R. Tolkien, was lead the greatest apologetist of the last 100 years for the Christian faith to Christ in C.S. Lewis. Here's what C.S. Lewis said after examining the claims of Christ. Anyone who claims these 10 things I just told you about could only be one of three things. Number one, a lunatic. Only a lunatic would walk around thinking he was healing people, thinking he was raising people from the dead, turning water into wine, multiplying loaves and fishes, a happy meal to feed 5,000. A lunatic. Secondly, a liar who's deceived the masses of billions for years. Or thirdly, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And by the way, he's still the only one raising people from the dead. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. I remember years ago, I was in uh, Sweden speaking in public schools. There, 99% of the kids did not believe in God. This was in 1979, 1980. And so they would put me in English classes, and I would speak in English classes all day long. And I'd begin by sharing my story of I was in gangs and drugs, and my daddy married five times, my mom married two times, man, she married my dad, we married seven times. I'd go through all those stories. And then I'd share how Christ changed my life. 
And in the end of one of those classes, this beautiful blonde-headed Swedish girl with broken English raised her hand and she said, excuse me, could I ask you a question? I said, well, sure. She said, I, I heard your story and you were bad. <laughs> I said, well, it, it's true. I was bad. She goes, you needed to be changed. You were very bad. And then she looked at me and said this, and you've heard people say this, but, but I'm not bad. I, I'm not bad. And maybe you know people that feel that way. Pastor, you, you need God because you're bad. I, I'm not bad. But look at me. And I looked at her and said, you're exactly right. But here's your confusion. The Jesus of this Bible didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make spiritually dead people live. He raises you from the dead when he comes to live inside of you. That's how prostitutes became pure. That's how the dead were raised. That's how the blind saw. That's how unholy, dishonest liars and cheats like tax collectors end up writing one of the most read books in the entire Bible. He changes you. Communism says they'll put a new coat on every man. Jesus says, I'll put a new heart under every coat. He transforms lives. He's still the only one raising the dead. When you walked in today, we greet each week, we, we greet the jail. We now have our first convert from jail who is actually now one of our ushers receiving the offering. He watched every week and now he's receiving your money. Do you know why? Because he's still the God that raises the dead. We have people that have been transformed through addiction because of our outreach that helped 250 people struggling with addiction last year, sent 70 people to a year-long Christ-centered treatment program where God has radically changed their lives, and those people are now coming back and reaching others in Acadiana. You know why? Because he's still raising the dead and still changing lives. And now you know why he is the only one and why the three most important days on the map in the entire Western world and the majority of the world are the date of his birth, the date of his death, and the date of his resurrection that are still celebrated 2,000 years later. 2,000 years later. You say, Pastor, well, why all of this? Because Jesus wanted you to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that he alone it's the only one. Do you know what? Not only is he the only one, he's actually the only one that pursues you. You can read Greek mythology. Gods would fall from the sky and you would attempt to appease them. If you look at all of humanity, you see gods that had to be appeased. You see people that would sacrifice their children for gods. People that would sacrifice money, meat, things, all of these things for God. Jesus is alone, the only God who came and sacrificed himself for us. He didn't ask us to sacrifice ourselves for him. Why? Because he's the only one. I want to ask you the most important question of your whole life. It is, do you know him? You say, Pastor, how, how, how can I know that? Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again. What does that mean? Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. 
You and I were born spiritually dead. Look right here. Did anybody ever have to teach you how to lie? Did anybody ever teach you how to steal or be deceptive? No. No, not at all. Why? Because that's natural to the fallen heart of man. But can I share something with you? Look at me. When you allow Christ to raise you from the spiritually dead, it becomes natural for you to do what is right. As a young shock jock preacher, I'd stand up, jardash jeans, platform shoes, Hawaiian shirt. I had it going on. Hair down to here, and I'd stand up in front of churches, the little churches, 150, that would just let me preach. There wasn't many churches that would let me preach, and I would stand up, and they're looking at me like this, like, most of them have never seen a Mexican, and surely most of them didn't look like, look, man, they went. And I would just start off by saying, hey, my name is Jacob Aranza, and I'm glad to be here, and I would like for you to know I smoke all the marijuana I want to. This was before it was legal, and you got your card. And then I would say, I, I drink all I want to. And you'd hear old people just kind of, <gasps> and I'd say, and I chase all the wild women I want to. And somebody would go, my God, pull him down. I said, but there's one thing I forgot to tell you. When I gave my life to Jesus, he changed the desires of my heart and he gave me a new heart and he raised me from the spiritually dead. And I don't want to do those things anymore. Have you been born again? Would you bow your head with me today? Father, we thank you for the truths of your word. I thank you that, Jesus, your words are as powerful as when you spoke them and that you're here today by your Holy Spirit, even as I speak them again. I pray right now for every single person here. I pray that you would give them an opportunity to have their Christmas morning, their opportunity to have an encounter with you, to know you if they've not been born again. 2,000 years ago, a very religious man named Nicodemus came to Jesus. And he said, unless a man or woman is born again, they can't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man or woman is born again, they won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, and Nicodemus, who, who was a religious leader, who went to church, who prayed prayers, who read the Bible, said, how can a man be born when he's old? And Jesus said, What's born of the flesh is of the flesh. What's born of the spirit is of the spirit. Nicodemus, you must be spiritually born again. Have you been born again? God is a spirit, and the only way you can know him is to become spiritually alive. You say, Pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. How can I do that, Pastor? It's easy. All you got to do is stop running. He's been chasing you. You just stop. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And then C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. As you turn away from sin to trust him, to become spiritually alive, and to know the God that loves you and has been pursuing you. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Pastor, would you pray for me today? That's what I want to do. I want a new beginning. I do. I want to know God. I want to know God. I want to be born again. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand real high and put it back down. And I'm going to pray for you right there at your seat. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just pray for you right at your seat. 
One, God brought you here. He brought you here. Two, nothing in your life has been an accident. Even the circumstances of the last few days have been God pursuing you. You know how you get aggravated when you wait for somebody for 30 minutes and they don't show up? An important person you might wait for an hour and they don't show up? How upset you get? Jesus has been waiting on you for years. For years. And now's your moment to stop and to turn the one that loves you so much that's been pursuing you to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I'm going to pray for you to be born again today. Lift it high. I want to see it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Keep it high. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Anywhere else? Okay. You can put your hand down. Last ten seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these nineteen, but I should have. Mark's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know God's been chasing me. He's shown me over and over. I know it. When I lay in bed at night, I know it. I don't know why I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I want to surrender to him and know this God that loves me so much. If that's you and you didn't raise your hand, raise it and wave it at me. 19 people have raised their hand. 20. Anywhere else? All right. Church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raised their hand today to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give a big hand to all of those people?